read this story, who can resist the charm of the little boy who shares his lunch with this great crowd? It's a story that's so well known, we often do this sort of shorthand about loaves and fishes without bothering to even have to explain the story that lies behind it. I've done it myself, and it really is a good image for the offer during prayer. When my father retired, he gave me his library, and it included a couple of shelves of sermon collections. And it's very telling that in all those books, there were only two sermons on this text, and both of them pick up on the little boy. William Eliot has a sermon entitled, When One Feels His Insignificance. You can sort of write your own sermon about that one. And the Reverend Gaston Foote says, there is a lad here. It's such a wonderful story, it's hard not to preach it. But after working with this text, I think the main point lies not with the little boy or the lunch, or even the miracle of the 12 baskets of leftovers. You see, there is another sermon in this story, and it's the one that Jesus preaches. Move down the chapter, I think you have to go all the way to the 35th verse, and you find the same crowd that has just eaten this miraculous lunch asking Jesus, well, what sign are you going to give us so that we may see it and believe you? What work are you performing? What dunderheads. You know, you wonder that Jesus doesn't just throw up his hands in disgust and give up on the whole project. But he doesn't. And very patiently, he begins to explain to them the signs that he has already given to them. And what he talks about is bread. Bread from heaven, the bread of life, the lifelong, long-life diet plan. Now, Americans are probably more diet conscious than just about any other people on the face of the earth. And when it comes to diet plans, we have to take the prize. I mean, there's the grapefruit diet and the Atkins diet, Weight Watchers, Jenny Craig, you list it, they go on and on. And whatever fad dies, the crash diets, all of those will take some pounds off short term. But what all of us really know down inside is that only a lifelong diet of sensible eating, well-balanced meals will keep the pounds off and our bodies healthy. Long-term, just nothing else really works. You know, the same is true of our spiritual lives. There are all kinds of diet plans out there. You know, spirituality is all the rage. And a lot of people say, well, I don't go to church, but I'm spiritual. But it's proponents seldom bother to say what it is that that spirituality is connected to. Is it just our own inner being and what makes me feel good? Is it some amorphous, the power of the universe? Or is it maybe something more specific? Well, I'd rather believe that, like all fad diets, they work for a little while. But when we want something that really will sustain us for the long haul, those aren't it. A long time ago, a man named Amos, you can read about him in the Bible, wrote, The time is surely coming, says the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread or a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, from north to east. They shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, and they won't find it. In that day, the beautiful young women and the young men shall faint for thirst, and those who swear by Ashima of Samaria and say, Oh, as your God lives, O Dan, and as the way of Bathsheba lives, they shall fall and never rise again. Now, 
I think that's descriptive rather than prescriptive. And if you substitute whatever our current fad is for Ashiva or Samaria or the God of Dan, you can have a pretty good description of what happens today. There really is a famine for the soul in so many places. And it's to that famine of the soul that Jesus offers the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat it and not die. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven and whoever eats of this bread will live forever and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Well, that's the sermon that Jesus preaches from this story of the feeding of the multitude. He speaks of bread that will nourish the soul and bring life to whoever eats it. A lifelong, long life diet plan. Those of us who come to this table with any kind of regularity has ceased to think, hear how really odd the words are that we say. You know, whoever eats of this. We know we don't eat Jesus, and yet we do eat the bread that he tells us is his body. So what do we do with that? William Barclay, an English scholar with whom some of you may be familiar, offers an illustration that I find helpful. He talks about what happens when we read a book. We take it inside ourselves. Not literally, but we do, don't we? Maybe that's why we sometimes say, well, I just really ate it up. And once in us, it feeds us. You may go back to particularly meaningful passages or stories. It makes us grow a little bit. We're shaped by its ideas. Our world opens up. If it's indeed a really powerful book, then that book will be forevermore a part of who we are. That's somewhat what it's like to feed on Jesus. It means that he becomes part of us. He shapes us. He helps us grow. He opens up the world to us. Now at this point, I'm going to say a very Presbyterian thing. It's probably part of why I like Barclay's book so much. The people in today's text were given lunch. They experienced the feeding, but notice they really have no clue the meaning behind it. It takes Jesus sitting down and saying, this is what it means for them to understand. But there is a strong connection between the sign and the words. They need the words to understand the sign of the bread. But having the bread, eating the lunch, has made Jesus' sermon on the bread of life real to them in a way that just words alone can't do. As Presbyterians, we believe that the sacrament, whether it's baptism or the table, needs the sign, the water, the bread, the cup. But it also needs words that explain it. So it is that our sacraments are always accompanied by scripture reading and some sort of comment on that. The official title of our clergy used to be, and I think we're going to go back to it, Minister of Word and Sacrament. I mean, that's their chief responsibility, to proclaim the word and administer the sacraments. The story that, the sermon that Jesus preaches on this story of the crowd that gets fed speaks of himself as the bread of life. <coughs> and that setting gives a special meaning. When I stand here at the table that's been set for communion, 
You hear what I say about bread in a different way when I, from when I say at supper later, pass the bread. It's a different kind of meaning. <coughs> well, that was also true for Jesus' folk because this was Passover. And John has made a point of telling us that right at the very beginning. So we read this story within that context. And do you remember Passover? It's that night when those who claimed the protection of God, who smeared the blood of the lamb over the lintel of the door, were saved from the angel of death who had swept through Egypt that terrible night, claiming the firstborn of every household. And each year then, from every single year, from then until this very day, Jews gather to celebrate the story, to remember, and in the remembering they make that story theirs, and they claim it for themselves. They become part of the Passover people. It's not just ancient history in a book. It lives in the lives of each of the persons who sits around that Seder table. They remember, and it comes alive for them. But what are the words we say? Do this remembering me. Remember, make it yours. Make it yours for whoever eats of this bread will, will live. They will never hunger. They will never thirst. They will live forever. Amen. <laughs>